What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to another brilliant episode of Action Movie Anatomy covering another brilliant film from 2001. This is Swordfish, Young Jackman, the man who became Huge Jacked Man, started out as a skinny hacker, the greatest hacker in the world. Wild Wired Magazine's Man of the Year 1996, just in case you were wondering. Hang out with us, guys. We're going to break down Swordfish for you. Welcome we'll see you to in a Popcorn second. Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. He exists in a world beyond the world. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm Hans, this is Franz. Welcome to Sprockets. Welcome. Uh, for those of that weren't born, yeah, that's an old Saturday Night Live throwback. Yeah. And this is the song from the film Swordfish. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm glad you didn't know that was coming. I had no idea. It was almost terrifying. It's like a nightmare. Yeah, a nightmare that will never end. Uh, guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. This is Action Movie Anatomy. Did, did we not boom? I don't know if I... I think I went to boom and then I was so thrown off by I think the, the lights. It was beautiful. Yeah. So Stephen good. Lemieux in the booth with the excellent production. Yeah, original ex- original executive producer of the show. Stephen, what's going on? Up there, yeah. He's not up there. Just pulling up an explosion for you guys real quick. You're just going to throw it in there? I got to throw it in there, you know. It's like applause. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, guys, welcome to the show. This is Action Movie Dad. We talk about action movies on this show. Uh, This is like episode 91 or something like that. Yeah, we're getting deep, man. We're getting real deep. And we decided today to uh, do a little look back on the early stages of Huge. Uh, Right? Three, two, one. There we All right. go. Hell yeah. That was great. That was great. I'm pumped up. I'm <laughs> ready to uh, go. Steven, you can fade out the music now. Nah, just turn it up. <laughs> turn it up. <laughs> um, our, our audience is just, just like, like trying to drive to work right already now. Already turned it off. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, guys, this is Swordfish. We uh, we talk about action movies, and Swordfish is an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's from 2001, directed by Dominique Cena. And uh, the action movies on this show adhere to four basic rules. So rule number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Now, Travolta insisted he was the hero in this film. <laughs> Did he? No, I just mean, oh. like, it's pretty clear. He probably looked at the script and he was like, and, uh, unless I'm the man who makes all the decisions, I'm not doing the film. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Like, he's just clearly, like, the most awesome character. He has such an incredible, condescending, dismissive delivery when he doesn't want to yeah. like you. Oh, yeah. And anytime he's a villain, it's just, like, that's one thing from Travolta being a villain that I wish I could steal so much in my acting is just, like, the amount of fucks not given to you when yeah. speaking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, t- I mean, we talked about this on the Punisher episode, but Travolta, like, he pretty much thinks that he's, like, a golden god, from oh, what yeah. I can understand. <laughs> like, I told you in the interview, and this is from 2004, so it's a while which, ago. Which, I haven't seen it yet. You guys have got to go find this interview. It's like a press interview from the Punisher, and he's like, you know, when I did Saturday Night Fever, it changed the world, you see. And, uh, you know, years later, I decided that it was worth taking a film like Pulp Fiction, where I wasn't the star, because the film would change the world. I'd already done enough as an actor, I needed to be in a film that could change the world, you see. Uh, (laughs) You're just like, whoa! (laughs) Like, cool, so that's what that feels like. Yeah, it's paraphrasing, but uh, it's pretty much the gist of the interview. So, uh, that's rule number one. The hero always plays by their own rules. I mean, I, I guess, like, Jackman... Kinda does. You know, I actually don't know if 
I mean, like, obviously he has that moment where all heroes have that moment where they're like, this is too much. Yeah. I need to make, make a stand. Yeah. Which he has, but up until that point, he's literally playing by the rules of every other force that controls him. Yeah, I agree. And it's in a lot of ways, you can almost justify that Travolta's actually the hero of the movie. Yeah, I mean, like... Because he's fighting terrorism in the end. He's killing people. He's killing people and stealing money to fight terrorists. Yeah, he's like a vigilante just... He's Batman. So he's kind of... <laughs> so it's, like, hard to really make the argument that he's not the hero. Because, like, they definitely... He plays by his own rules. He controls yeah. everything. He calls all the shots. That's interesting. Maybe yeah. we're having, like, a weird flip around today. So that's a kind of a weird one. Rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. So if one's the hero and one's the villain, then that's the case. Definitely. Yeah, well, I just don't think that... Uh, Jackman's actually the smartest guy in the room. Oh, you don't think he's the smartest? I think he figures it out at the end, Yeah, which I think is interesting, but up until that point, he's literally just a pawn. Who's smarter than Jackman, though, other than Travolta? That's it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so if you're saying one and the yeah, other, I yeah, think okay. The, I, I mean, I guess maybe Halle Berry, even though she doesn't really deserve that Kind of, yeah, because she, yeah, she's she, on, like, sets up everything. Yeah, she's, like, part of Travolta's whole game, so she, like, does know a lot, but... That's a reach, though. It's a reach. Okay, all right. I think, I think it's still fair to say here in the villain are always the smartest people in the room. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. I mean, they're in a lot of ways, they're both mercenaries. Yeah. Like, Travolta's like a crime boss, and Jackman's like a gun for hire, essentially. So, like, yeah, kinda. Yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say it. Definitely, and, definitely stretching, <laughs> reaching. And rule number four, the movie is, it contains a minimum of one explosion. There's quite a few explosions in this film. Yeah, and, and I think that the ball bearings is such a cool idea. Yeah, savage. I hated that at the end, that person blows up in midair, falling yeah. out of the helicopter, and there's no repercussions from that ball bearing. Because, like... I know, I mean, if you're getting into movie magic and all that shit, it's going to cost you an additional, like, maybe fifty to to $100,000 yeah. of CG. But, like, how cool would it have been, like, in the Matrix yeah. when that thing blew up if all the buildings around it, like, the windows blew out from the ball bearings? Totally, completely. Yeah. I mean, th- to be, to be uh, just to elaborate on that for a second with your point, um, th- that opening sequence and the explosion is... To date, the most expensive sequence Warner Brothers has ever produced. I, okay, I'm I, okay. I'm just going to be honest right now. I've watched the movie. I've done my research, but yeah. you've definitely done more research than me this week. Yeah. And like, I've seen this movie a lot more than you have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that explosion when I was watching it again the other day, I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. That that's real. Yeah. Isn't it? It's pretty like, good. It's pretty crazy. It's 135 still cameras, all set. It's like Matrix-level technology, yeah. um, all rendering at different speeds so that, uh, in the end, the director and the producers watching back couldn't tell what was real and what was CG because they had combined so many different elements, um, like the most complicated and expensive. And it's such a cool explosion. Like, it's badass. It's really good, yeah. It's gnarly. And it's great with the ball bearings. Like, they, they even, like, they, like, you know, like the the fucking trunk of the car, there's, like, little holes yeah. in it, right? Like, it's just... It's just, just holes through... Everything. It's just savage. It's also sweet that they actually do it. Right away he threatens it and then yeah. it happens. Yeah, yeah. You know I, I mean? hate I know. That's the worst thing, and that happens so much in films with hostages where no no one ever kills the hostage. Right. Which is why it's such a cool opening with the dog die afternoon thing. What if you just started killing hostages right away? Yeah, right. And then boom, it happens. Boom, You're yeah. like, okay. Yeah, it's cool. pretty sweet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, guys, that is the gist of the rules of action movie anatomy. If you, if those are the rules, if you guys want to follow along in the conversation, we are both on Twitter. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. And you guys can find me at Andrew Guy. And I will have the live chat going for probably another 15, 20 minutes before my phone dies, like always. Uh, <laughs> glad to see you guys in the chat. And we'll see a couple things we got going on. Hallie, Hallie's berries are the best part of the film. Yes, yes. We yes, understand, we understand that, you feel that, that way. you like that. <laughs> uh, and then what was the other one that I saw that was interesting? Um, hmm. 
I'll have to find it later. Did you oh, spend... Oh, someone wrote... Uh, James Finneran. Yeah. Big fan. He wrote, not a fan of Halle Berry, which we are later on going to be having a discussion about her and her career, and we're going to be debating the over-under properly rated. Yes. A game that we one day will eventually come up with the correct title for. We just still have it. We, we still have it. are settled on Vin Diesel being properly yeah, rated. Yeah, I know. I still think about that every week. And then we got one more thing. Can your dome thesis statement, Swordfish has a happier ending than any Disney film in history. Well, if you take away all of the people dying yeah. and the fact that it's totally preposterous and he's just like doesn't get in trouble for being a mercenary that hacked into the DOD a rocket launcher, and shoot at rocket launcher, a helicopter in downtown, and not actually being ever physically forced to do his job, but just doing it for ten million dollars, he just was a criminal. And yeah. Don Cheadle's like, no problem, no problem. Go bro. spend some time with your daughter. He's like, Thanks. you should be around children now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, <sighs> so uh, yeah, and if you guys want to tweet at the show, you can mm-hmm. find the show at AMA Podcast. Um, we as a team will be going on next week oh the my ultimate God, it's movie coming. showdown uh, we've been getting some new new fans on twitter because of that yeah. i think look we've been do- we've been sporkling we've been yeah. quizzing each other we've yeah. been watching old movies we've been doing everything uh, we can oscar recap like yeah. we've done everything so if you guys are ready march 14th ben and i will be taking on miss emma fife and oh my god joel monique joel monique yes, yes yeah joel monique you. she's our good friend and uh and uh well, she's on a panel with me. Andrew clearly doesn't know she's her. She's not but my friend. She's, she's my <laughs> enemy. But she, she's our teammate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's going to be awesome. We can't wait. We're so excited. And uh, yeah, so if you guys are catching us maybe for the first time just because you heard about us, then yeah. we'll see you on the 14th. We can't wait to rip shit up. Um, go on cruise control. Sit, yes. We're yeah. still trying to figure out our our, uh, our edge. Yeah, what we're going to do. The yeah. thing. Um, so uh, anyway, guys, let's get into the first bit of the show. This is going to be the trailer to the film. Yeah. Can your dome respond with oh, yeah, yeah, if you take those things away. <laughs> Get a, I think we got the we got full screen here. Good job, Senator. We have a problem. <laughs> Did you know that I can buy nuclear warheads for forty million each? Hell, I buy half a dozen and even get a discount. What do you think is going to happen? He's cunning. Kind of loose He's as ruthless as he is cunning. My employer wants to meet you. He is you. Just to meet you, Stan. Ever heard of Operation Swordfish? Nope. This is a sweet deal. Nine and a half billion. Do you have any idea of how much money that is? We go in over the phone lines, pop the firewall, sit back, wait for the money. So what we need from you, Stanley, is a worm. Marco. Oh man. Some incentive. <laughs> what are you worm. doing? Worm. Firewall. Yeah. <laughs> the best crackers in the world can do this in 60 minutes. Unfortunately, I need someone who can do it in 60 seconds. You're kidding. Go. 45 seconds. You're gonna get these people killed! 20. Who are you? I'm not what you think I am. More time, more time! Come on, stand! 15. I think that you think I'm a bank robber. The truth is that I'm worse. Control, be advised that this is now an aerial pursuit. Such a preposterous Hold movie. On. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the way that the cop, like, gave Three, the information. Two, three, like, one. uh, it's, it's not on Fourth Street anymore. No, no, wait, wait. Uh, it's airborne. Not everything ends the way you think it should. John Travolta, Hugh Jackson, Halle Berry, and uh. Don Cheadle. Swordfish. It's just like, should not have used that voice. Yeah. Just like, 
such a clear indication of how sexist Hollywood is. The fact oh, yeah. that Hugh Jackman's billed second in this trailer. This was his second movie. Yeah. He had done X-Men. Yeah. Halle Berry had been in movies for 12 years. She was like legitimately famous. She was like a big name. Hadn't she won an Oscar already? No, that's part oh, of that next year. It's, the, oh. it's eight months later that movie came out. <laughs> Correction, this might be the last great 90s action movie responded <laughs> with, this isn't a great movie. <laughs> So that's so, the trailer, guys. Yeah. yeah, this will be great. So this is where we're going to get into the first bit of the show. This is called Thesis Statement. This is your biggest, boldest thought about the movie, something that you just believe wholeheartedly. Somebody brings the movie up at a party, and you say, you know, let me tell you this. This is what I think about this <laughs> let movie. Let me take the floor for a moment. Uh, let me tell you this, Stan. Um, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, and I'm going to hop in with mine, because I'm so curious of yours. I want, I want you to... Because mine's kind of like... It's kind of fun. Okay. You know, and I think that John Travolta is the greatest pretty boy turned villain ever. Yeah, you mentioned this. Um... You mentioned this, you added a list, though, not as your thesis. And thinking about it, I have a hard time coming up with who... Because when he came back yeah. after his absence, when he came back in Pulp Fiction, he definitely didn't only play a villain, but it seemed like his career just more and more pushed him in that direction. Yeah, with, like, from Paris, with uh, with Taking, Taking with Pelham, with Face-Off, Punisher, with Broken Arrow, yeah, like, Punisher, this movie. There's something about him... In his face, I think it's his. I talk about this a lot on the show about like faces and yeah, like how when you look right. at someone, you're like you just can't be a leading man forever because yeah. I don't know if I trust you. And I feel like as Travolta turned less pretty as he got a little older, yeah. not that he's not a good looking guy, but he just ha- kind of has like a Weasley look almost now and stopped taking care of himself and stopped taking care clearly. of himself very clearly. Um, the other and I and guys, I'd love to have your help on this because I was trying to come up with other people. <laughs> James Finner, what the fuck is that trailer about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> seriously, man. Um, I came up with Mickey Rourke, yeah. but that was only because of Iron Man. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like he he definitely played some villains when he came back, but like more than that, it was like he just wasn't that pretty anymore. So he he was going to play like a little bit more like dirtier characters. You're talking about Rourke, yeah, yeah, and, and, like and the wrestler, he, and, yeah. And then in that movie, uh, I mean, he's in Kill Shot. He's in that movie, the uh, that really bad like. The Informers, it's called. Yeah. Um, where they use this, the Flock of Seagulls song in the trailer, and he's like a kidnapper. So, yeah, he definitely did more of that stuff as, as he got into the later part of his career. Yeah, I don't know who else, like, is... Like, Killian Murphy's kind of interesting, but he's yeah. such a character actor. Sure. And, like, he's played good and bad throughout his career. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard list to come up with. I'd be curious about it. Maybe maybe that's a list that we'll apply to a later episode. Is he like, Sexiest Man Alive? He's definitely won it, right? Oh, yeah. At least for once. Sure. At, yeah, least once. at least once. So, yeah, Sexiest Man Alive turned villain. He might be the greatest ever. Yeah, maybe ever. <laughs> um, all right, here's my thesis statement. 2001 to 2002, that 12-month period, mm-hmm. is the most demeaning one-year stretch for an actress to ever win Best Actress in the history of movies. Oh, because I can't wait to hear this. Halle Berry's in this movie. She comes. This movie comes out in June of 2001, okay? Okay. Eight months later, Monster's Ball comes out. Eight months later. I guess and if you Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the year before, in 2000, which I'm not even including as part of my thesis statement, she plays Storm in X-Men, which at the time... Being a character in, an, in, in a superhero movie was not cool. It wasn't like, no. wasn't like a tentpole. It was like that was the barometer. Can we or not? Can we do superhero movies or not? So it was a little bit silly. And yeah. like, so she she gets paid five hundred grand to show her tits in this movie. The first time she ever did nudity. You have to use that kind of verbiage because it's two thousand one. Yeah, I'm just being straight. <laughs> no, I that's, get it. No, seriously, that's in the contract. She says I wanted to get over my fear of nudity. Yet. In the same year, she does a scene so graphic in Monsters Ball that yeah. when I looked it up this morning to see like just exactly how graphic it's it was, intense. Because I didn't remember it since I saw the movie when it first came out. Do you know what site it popped up on? Pornhub. 
Of course. That was the first site it popped up yeah. on. It didn't even pop up on like YouTube, like a protected YouTube video, which is what I expected. Yeah. It just was a porn video. And I was like, so this actress, in the course of one year, goes and does an action movie that's basically considered to be like totally mediocre by everybody. I mean, we'll talk about the scores later on, but like definitely considered to be a little bit of a joke. Mm-hmm. Gets paid 500 grand to take her shirt off just to do it for no reason at all. I mean, like you can talk yourself into it being part of the story, but really. There's no, I mean, like it's literally those two scenes of her and the wire. And her out in the pool are they are gratuitous for a reason. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Totally. And then the movie comes out within a year of her having like a just like abusively graphic sex scene. Yeah, it's not. I mean, if you guys haven't seen Monsters <laughs> Ball, it's one of those things where like I don't really know why she won the Oscar for it, and I've heard it was for it was like one of those like tr- like you've done these things up to this point. Yeah, and there's it's the race kind, thing too, yeah, the race thing and all that, but like. Just, just go watch it. It's fucking weak. It's gnarly. Yeah, I mean, she's really good at it. Yeah, like, she, no, she's a great actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. But that scene, those scenes, yeah. they're crazy. Really intense. So I'm just saying that it's it is the most degrading twelve month period for an actress ever because in the same year that she wins the Oscar for doing that, and like people do shit in movies when they're dramatic. Of all, it's not like having a sex scene or, or taking your clothes off if it's like a drama is. That's fine. She does yeah, a good absolutely. job. And, and you know, Emma Emma Watson just had a big thing about like yeah. toplessness isn't equivalent to feminism and things like that. But the fact that eight months prior, a basically like silly summer action movie comes out where she just gratuitously took her top off, right? Is like you can't find me another example. I find mean, me I another think, example. I think ever. what happened then was like, oh, she's gonna okay, let's get her. Like she'll do it there. We can do it for our good film because like no no actress that's willing to take five hundred grand just to take her top off of an action movie just to do it yeah. wins an Oscar for best actress the same year. That's never happened. It'll probably never happen again. It's just yeah preposterous. Like I don't even. I was like looking at that. I was like, how close did they come out? And it's literally June to February. Yeah, and it's crazy as we get older and as, you know, women's rights changes and feminism changes in this country, it's, it is so clearly evident how sexist Hollywood is. Oh my God. Still to yeah. this day. But you go back 10, 20, 30, 40 years, every single decade, it's just like nauseating. Oh my God. There's a scene, it's just, and like, in terms of what's acceptable, Hugh Jackman's like supposed to be kind of your lead character. Mm-hmm. He puts his hands on Halle Berry twice in this movie. He throws her out of his trailer oh, and forcefully. he smacks her. I, or, yeah, or pushes her or something. I, yeah. I can't remember. Like, I just remember he throws her out of the trailer. He like grabs her by the arm and physically throws her. And I was just like, Again, like your hero character, putting your hands on a woman. That's just not what we see anymore. You can't do that. And you know what? I think uh, we got a lot of things going on in the chat here, but what I love is Asif Khan wrote, not a very interesting scene anyway. Yeah. You're yeah. right. It's it's not a good scene. So we got to make her topless so people will watch it and talk about it later. We would never be talking about yeah. that scene at the pool or that scene where he finds her wire. No. If she wasn't almost completely naked in him. And yeah. that's such a good point. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my thesis. I just like was thinking about it and I was like, I mean, what's the equivalent for a man to do in a movie that's as demeaning as just gratuitous toplessness? Like yeah. I I don't know, maybe it's getting like sodomized on camera or something like that. <laughs> I shot a short film this weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and Drew Skull, we're not complaining. This isn't a complaint about no, 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 no. her she's, or she's her performance her body's or, incredible, or but it being in the film. It's just Ben's making a point as to like how demeaning this is for someone to win Best Actress and, and go through this career path 
to get to the point where she is now, and, and that discussion we're going to bring up in, in Star Profiles. Yeah, I thought that was, I just thought it was fascinating, like, thinking about that, and I was like, I can't think of another actress that has anywhere, like, that's such an iconic, gratuitous nudity mm-hmm. scene, but the kind of actresses that do gratuitous nudity like, that, nudity like that are not the kind that are usually even nominated for Oscars, let alone Yeah, I mean, I guess win the, them. the other one that pops into my mind immediately is uh, Jolie for... Um, for uh, Girl Interrupted? For Girl Interrupted, yeah. Yeah. And it's but it's a different type of topless scene and she's not in like some dumb action movie naked right beforehand. Yeah, there's like the other movie she's in Gia, which I think mm-hmm. is like around the same time. But like again, yeah, it's like Gia I think was like But if if you look at it too, like they had to do what they had to do and in the two thousand who were who were some of the who were the two biggest women in the world? It was Halle Berry and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, in the early two thousands. So of no course question. they have to do what they have to do. Yeah. And and yeah. Yeah, so agreed. <clears throat> it was just an interesting thought as I went through the progression in my head, and I was like, I don't. I think that's a pretty definitive statement. I would be yeah. amazed if somebody else came up with something that proved that wrong. Yeah, because look at the other end of that. It's like a couple years later, Philip Seymour Hoffman gets to play Capote and then be an action villain in a Mission Impossible. Totally, movie. he's the bad guy in MI three. Yeah. Like the next release. I mean, in that path. Yeah. Is so much more respectful. Yeah, Cage is in the Rock following leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, and these, nobody bats an eye. These aren't things like they're going out and doing some like artistic film noir where they're getting sodomized yeah. on camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I, I think it's just the question of it wouldn't even be her if she had done the movie with the wire scene, but not the toplessness, right? Yeah, and it wasn't such a thing where everybody found out that like they were like, if you take your top off, we'll pay an extra five hundred grand for you to be in this movie. Yeah, right. Like if you do that. Uh, and that became the story of the movie. And had that not happened, I don't think we'd be talking about it in the same way. But the fact that that's a real thing that happened, and it's documented, yeah. and it's the same year as Monsters Ball... That's like a trivia question about this film. Yeah, it's outrageous. So, in any case... Um, Moving on, not that we don't like the film, or that we don't think Halle Berry is beautiful, but just yeah. an observation. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> moving on to the next part of the show, guys. This is Fist Pump Moments. This is that moment in the movie, something happens. You look around, you're like, are you watching this right now? Is this, this really fucking yeah. so sweet. I'm so excited to watch the rest of this movie. And... Uh, uh, this movie, the year it came out, like it's it's the year before, or it's the year following Gone in sixty seconds. Mm-hmm. It's like I was talking about this before we started the episode, but there's just this quality to movies at the turn of the century, action movies especially. I don't even really know how to describe it. It's like something about the way they look, something about there's this glossy, like super slick, but like it's different than The Rock and Con Air and Face Off and those mid '90s movies. Those movies feel very '90s. They feel older. Um, and it's different than movies from like 05, 06, 07. You look at like the way that movies like the Bourne movies look like or even like Transformers in 07. Right. Transformers, like just something about it looks so much more modern. There's yeah, just some, yeah. Something about these movies that came out 15, 16 years ago, they just have this incredible like 2000, 2001 kind of look. And this movie just looks like that. Everything about it. Yeah. So many moments that I'm just like, oh yeah, this is great. I love this. Maybe it's when we grew up. I mean, that's maybe it's just... Yeah, I mean, there's there's... A, <clears throat> That time period, that like almost what six years, or I guess it's a ten year stretch, or like six year in the middle of that ten years, yeah, is like a very specific type of. It's almost just like if Tony Scott and Michael Bay just were like, we're gonna control how film editing's done <laughs> yeah, for six yeah, years. Yeah. It's like ninety nine to 03 is like what it feels like to me. And um, this is interesting because Stephen made a point about Red coming out and like being able to edit post in post. Yeah, and Stephen, I don't know if you want to make that point again, but like you were saying that a big reason of why that was so overly saturated in the market at this time was because people were just excited that the technology was available. Well, I'm not sure if it was actually the Red cameras itself, but the technology available to allow people to edit focus and post definitely changed the way that 
movies kind of looked. The cri- sort of crisp quality. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, if you really, if you think about it, you know, it's just like music. Now that they have, um, like back in the day when they didn't have, Digital? what is it? Uh, no, auto tune. Oh, sure. You know, you had this, you had this kind of mistakes in the sound that gave it that gave it its character. Right. Like that's why you had the Johnny Cashes. That's why Elvis didn't sound like just every other person nowadays. But once they had autotune, now everything sounds the same. Movies are kind of the same way in that, like, before when they couldn't fix mistakes in post, it aired with the mistake, and that kind of gave it that quality. But once they could focus anything in post, it kind of just changed the whole game, and now everything's so crisp and clear all the time, and everything's HD, and everything's about 4K, and everything's... So it's just kind of... It's very different. That's yeah. why 80s movies, I think, have more of a character to them than anything in the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. That, makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you think about that in, like, color correction. The, the lighting and coloring of these movies is very specific, too. It's, I mean, I think that's another thing that I was thinking. A lot of those greens and, like, like, almost like... I always think of stoplights. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? Well, something I thought of is if you go back and you look at music videos from around the same time, like, all that stuff in the late 90s... Um, boy band music videos and like a lot of like the the teen artists and young up and coming people from like 98 99 it's a lot of super bright colors like do you remember like in in vitamin c graduation the video i think she wears like some sort of like neon yellow like night like like uh what's the uh and her hair is bright orange. Yeah, right. <laughs> Stuff like that. And like all those boy bands, they all like bright blue tracksuits yep. and bright greens and popping yellows and oranges like and powdery, like filtered. Yeah, there's something about just that time and the colors that were used that was like so like evident that this is the time you were in. Yeah, like Dominic Cena, the director of this movie, clearly employs those things. Yeah. Because his movies just they just feel like that. They look like that. So anyway, talking about fist pump moment, um, do you have one you want to jump in with? Yeah, I do. And mine's so <laughs> funny and it's so stupid, but it, I know it's a lot of people's and it's the blowjob hacking. Yeah, yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah, it's it's great. hilarious and it's just like the lead up to it. It's like 60 minutes. We need someone that can do it 60. That's an inordinate amount of time yeah, difference for hacking. Yeah. 61 hour as opposed to <laughs> one minute. He's the best. He was Wired Magazine's Man of the Year 1996. Look, Thank you very much. I have a computer or a woman in two years. Yeah. Okay, so now I have to type and get a blowjob and hack and learn and, and 60. Yeah, and then the fact that he doesn't do it is good because if he did do it, it he would does have been, it basically. Well, yeah, he basically. Five seconds yeah, longer. exactly. But like, still, it, there's something about that that was just. It's so 2001. It is so like rep, uh, representative of what this film is. The pitch meeting, some guy was probably like, all right, listen. He's the best hacker in the world has been in prison. No, no, he's, like, he's like, here, hold on. Yeah. Guys, come in here. Yeah. And just reenact yeah. it. <laughs> he's going ha- to hack something that should take 60 minutes in 60 seconds while getting a blowjob with a gun to his head. Are you interested? Yeah. <laughs> interested? <laughs> that's the elevator pitch. But and what's the movie about? That's what the movie's that's about. The mo- all right, I'm in. Here's, here's X amount of dollars. What's your uh, What's yours? Uh, I had like a bunch. So blowjob hacking was one that I wrote down. But yeah. my, I think my favorite is my favorite. I think is when they're they're uh, interrogating Axel Torvald, the second best hacker in the world, the Finnish hacker wanted on twenty four accounts of cybercrime. Yeah, like Axel Torvald is such a sweet name. Anyway, it's such a it's such a Finnish hacker in like yeah, swordfish just, name and like just the way he looks like that just European yeah. like skinny like yeah. brooding yeah and like. I love that when he finally starts to admit, they're like, tell us what you know about this guy. And he's like, no, I can't tell you. No, she's like, he exists in a world beyond our world. <laughs> one you can only fantasize about. And as he's he, like he basically talking. basically starts talking in the trailer plays. Yeah. So he, like, as he's talking, they start playing like this like intense like techno music <laughs> and showing a shot of John Travolta with his like popped collar getting out of a little sports like, car and walking into a club. The tiniest sports car ever. And like this guy. Yeah. He exists in a world yeah, yeah. beyond your world. 
And this guy, Axel, is, like, following closely behind him in the shot with his, like, furry, like, waist-length jacket. And you're basically like, this is just going to cut to, like, a Swedish porno in a second. Yeah. And, like, every, it's just going to be, like, all dudes. That's, like, that's what it feels like when you're watching it. You're like, this is just, like, a cartoon of, like... Yeah, yeah. And they, they even say something about, like, it's not what it seems or it's all deception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember. What you say? It almost makes me think of, like... Uh, it almost makes me think of like if you know that old Mac commercial where they throw the hammer through the through the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, the, it, it's like oh. that, but for IKEA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who directed that commercial? Um, Dominic Cena. No. It's a very famous commercial. Russell Mulcahy. No. Who was it? Uh, I'm. I want to say, and I could be wrong about this. It's Ridley Scott. It's either Ridley Scott or Tony Scott, but I'm pretty positive it's Ridley Scott. Um, it's one of the Scott brothers, though. It's like it's super famous. It put one of them on the Ridley map. Scott. You're right. Yeah, it was Ridley Scott. Conceived by Steve Hayden and directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's crazy. Um, so anyway, uh, anyway, moving on. So that's I think that's mine, just because it's so silly and it's like so indicative of the times. The music yeah. is, it's just like, I don't know. It's it's just the fact that it's Travolta. It's Travolta <laughs> getting out of this little it's car. It's Travolta trying to look like a badass, and he's like overweight and uncomfortable. <laughs> he's like not overweight yet, but he's like starting to move in the direction, and you can kind of tell he's got like a little more of a double chin. His hair is like this like bleached like short. It's the hair, the hair is so good. Incredibly dated, very much of the times, and just I just love it. It's my favorite. That was my favorite moment I think in the entire movie. It is hilarious to me how much there's like four people just hung up on this Halle Berry discussion in chat. I just turned it off. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just, we don't they like just, Halle Berry. They just can't move on past like the fact of uh, it doesn't matter. It's just oh. kids being kids. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, let's move on to where Halle Berry's at. Or no, let's move on to career profiles. Career profiles. All right. So uh, you've got you've got the two stars of this movie at distinctly different points in their career. Careers. Yes. Um, you've got Hugh Jackman, who had literally done X Men in 2000. Yep. That was the movie that he had done. Prior to that, he had been in Australia working. He was in Erskineville Kings, which, yep. interestingly enough, 1999 stars Hugh Jackman, also Joel Edgerton, also Aaron Eckhart. Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting. A movie I'd never heard of or seen. It's an Australian movie. but um, And then Oklahoma, the TV movie in 1999. Right. Which good is, morning, good morning. Yeah, he yeah. Had, he'd gotten a bunch of awards for being in that for being in the play, and they adapted it to television. And uh, yeah, then it's X Men in two thousand as Wolverine, and this movie. That's like this is like the very very beginning this of is, Hugh Jackman's career. And it's so crazy. Like after watching Logan this last weekend and seeing where he's at now, and like you go back and you look at him seventeen years ago, he is like a kid. Yeah. He's like skinny and scrawny and kind of soft. Yeah. He's like so young. Yeah. It's crazy yeah. the change. And like that, yeah, that literally skyrocketed his career. We all know that. Yeah. So, and then the next stretch is like, it's a very, you know, it's a big stretch of his career. I believe the film he does after X Men is Kate and Leopold. Yeah, that's an excellent, <laughs> excellent rom com starring him and Meg Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Which he got a Golden Globe nomination for, by the way, for Kate and Leopold. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know why I bring this movie up so much when you and I are talking <laughs> or like doing movie trivia. I just, I've, I don't even think I've ever seen, I think I've seen it once. I'll take. I'll take the distasteful nudity in Swordfish, and I'll, I'll watch Kate and Leopold every time. Every right? time. Every time over that. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, there's basically this is where he starts. There's not really a whole lot else to say about Jackman, other than the fact that this is the one thing I realized when doing the research for this movie. So, I love Hugh Jackman. You love Hugh Jackman. I love Hugh Jackman. He's one of our favorites. Yeah. Um, do you know Hugh Jackman? This is a piece of trivia for you. How many Oscar nominations does Hugh Jackman have? Two. One. One. For Le Miz. Didn't win it. It's the only time he's ever been nominated for an Oscar. Hugh Jackman's not even like a... He's not even like a... 
like a movie star in our culture. Kate Leopold was awesome. <laughs> That's what Jacob Shields said. Hugh Jackman is like a national treasure in our culture. He hosted the Oscars. Yeah. He's like he's like Wolverine, but also talented. He can sing, he can dance. People love Hugh Jackman. And there's something about too Wolver- Hugh Jackman and Wolverine that he's done nothing but grow on you over the last 17 yeah. years. Like, you just love him more and more and more. There's no reason not to. Talking about his, um, when he was going to do X-Men, that he was looking at the script, and his wife at the time, who he had met in Australia working on a project, um, I just heard my mic go in and out. So I'm going to, Stephen, I'm going to unplug and replug to make sure I... Oh, it's good? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, His wife advised him not to take Wolverine. She was like, you shouldn't do this X-Men movie. Hmm. It's, It's not a good decision. But he did it anyway. And he talks about when he's getting ready to do the movie. That, Seven Iron, huh? Yeah. Well, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> so uh, he he talks about like doing the research for the movie, and he realizes that there's so few lines in the script that he does he's barely talks in the first X Men. Yeah. But that he was like, but you know, I went back to watch movies of these these stars that didn't say much but commanded the screen. So he, he watched Mel Gibson and the Road Warrior, mm. and he watched uh, Clint Eastwood and old Dirty Harry movies. The guys that really like talked through their faces instead of their 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 words and. It's funny if you actually think about the first X-Men movie, he he really became the star of the franchise, but he yeah. wasn't the star when they put the first movie Literally out. everyone else around him was, was like, even Patrick Stewart because of Next Generation, that just ending, Pally Berry. Um, Much bigger name than him yeah. at the time. I mean, Patrick Stewart, Halle Berry. You put James Marston in, like, the, the big, like, square-jawed leading man yeah. role. I mean, Wolverine's a fan-favorite character, so it's not like... When casting, they didn't realize. That yeah, they didn't know that this could. This wasn't a potential to happen. They wanted him to be great. Yeah, but he definitely like doesn't talk very much. He's he could have just as easily been a mediocre Wolverine and then sort of been forgotten and swept mm-hmm. under the rug. And that's why I think I have an interesting recast for my uh, um, Jackman. Jackman. In this yeah, movie. we're gonna do a full yeah. recast later in the episode. But yeah, just what I thought about with Jackman when when looking at the career was like, I just like. I'm the biggest Hugh Jackman fan. Mm-hmm. I I love most of what he's done. I haven't seen that many Hugh Jackman movies. I realize. I realize that I've seen all pretty much all the Wolverine movies, about like seven or eight other movies he's been in probably, mm-hmm. and that like a ton of stuff he, that he, I never saw. Kate Leopold. I never saw Australia. I never watched. You never watched The Fountain, did you? No, I love The Fountain. Oh, okay. I yeah. love The Fountain. The Fountain's great. Yeah. I never I never watched um, Eddie the Eagle. I never watched. Eddie, he's good in Eddie the Eagle. He's good in Prisoners. Yeah, I've never watched Van Helsing. <laughs> it's I mean, fun at Van Helsing. Yeah. So there's just a lot of these movies that he's been in that I never saw, and I was surprised because of how much I like the guy. So uh, Hugh Jackman's a guy that I think it's pretty oh, prestige. Yeah, it's one of my yeah. favorites of all time. Um, I actually tweeted this morning as I was thinking about this. I keep just tangenting. Sorry, but no, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking this morning about like, all right, you and I have seen a lot of movies in our life, like a lot. However, if you really were to so let's say you could the computer data memory of your memory was to tell you exactly how many movies you've seen. Yeah, it's probably like two thousand something, maybe, maybe yeah, not even two thousand. Yeah. might be like fourteen hundred. Like, you know, that's a lot of movies to take, see. Yeah, and especially for how many or how many of I watched like ten times. Yeah, and movies, you know, there's a ton of movies in the world. If you start to think about it that way, you're like, all right, if I'm making my list of my fifty favorite movies ever, like the actual top fifty, well, some movies like for me, it's the Star Wars trilogy, which I adore. You know, those movies are also on the greatest of all time list for most people, but they would be on my top 50. Mm-hmm. You're not as big a Star Wars fan of the original trilogy, so likely if you were making your 50 favorites, maybe one of those makes it, but maybe they don't. I grew up on Star Wars. I love them. I don't think any of them would make my favorite. So yeah. what you start to think about is, like, you want to consider yourself, like, a uh, an intellectual film fan, and you want to imagine that every one of these, like, great movies that you loved 
would make your 50. But 50 is not that many movies. So what you start to realize, and I, this is what I tweeted this morning, is do you have a top 50 favorite movies list? And when I start to think about the movies that I love the most, Prestige, that's on my top 50 movies. Yeah. The Weatherman, <laughs> that's on my top 50 favorite movies. Uh-huh. Right? Like, uh, oh, yeah, and, and, and everyone keeps talking about uh, Real Steel, and we're, we're going to look into that. Yeah. Uh, who was it that was just, Oh, uh, Ben Bagley was Yeah, saying, Ben Bagley yeah. from Guilty Movie Pleasure. So those guys are actually doing um, Wolverine, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine this week, uh, which is not a good not movie, a good but film. they love it. Um, Edge of Tomorrow is on my top 50. I just I started to think about this because it's like, it's not that many movies, but you realize that movies that most people would be like, really? That's one of your 50 right. favorite movies? Yeah. But if you love them, like, there's only so many movies I think about all the time. I think about Prestige like every week. So good. And he's I think got that Logan one might be in my top 50. Man. Really? I really I'm do. So, I haven't seen it yet. I know. I know. I'm so excited. All right. Uh, so let's get into our conversation. Oh, no. We still got to talk about Travolta. Yeah. So Travolta in 2000, he did Lucky Numbers. He also did Battlefield Earth, which is considered one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. And he was a villain in that. A cult classic, you might call it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then The General's Daughter in 99, which I remember vividly the cover of that box. Yes, and definitely. Him and his greens. And also uh, in 98, just in case anyone's watching. Wondering, he did a civil action, which is like a, I think like which a civil civil actions. Like a, I think it's a courtroom thriller or yeah. something like that. It might be like a John Grisham, but it's just another one of those movies that came out in the years following his comeback. That was like he did so many movies in the mid nineties. Yeah, he, he like after his comeback after Pulp Fiction between like ninety four and two thousand. He's got, I think he's got like fourteen credits or something. It's so funny. I remember being in school, being in, I guess, middle school when Battlefield Earth came out. Yeah. And, like, everyone talked about how horrible it was <laughs> and, like, how unwatchable it was. And I still, to this day, have never watched it. Like, I'll see him pop up in his makeup every now and then on cable, and I'm so interested. But. All right. So, for the, just for the sake of real fun, because Travolta we've talked about endlessly, um, between 94 and 2001, this is, like, our heyday. Okay. How many of the movies do you think we could name? We'll have Steven fact check in just a second. I'll bet you we could probably name most of them. Oh, God. I don't even know. I mean, so you've got, you got Face Off, Broken Arrow, those yep. four. Yeah, you got Broken Arrow. You got Face Off. You've got Phenomenon. You, <laughs> you got, got Michael. Michael. Yeah, we always link those two together. <laughs> because they are the same movie. Um, yeah, Civil Action. General don't know about lucky, lucky Numbers. Yeah, Pulp Fiction's 94. You've got Get Shorty. Oh, yeah. Um, you've got... you got Pulp. Or no, no, yeah, 94, yeah, yeah, Pulp yeah. Fiction. Get Shorty. Um, that's like almost all the ones that come to mind for me, but I it's like ten already. Feel like we're missing like two, probably. Yeah, we're definitely missing something in there. I I, I can just see boxes. Yeah. White, man's burden. White, white man's, man's burden. White man's burden. Is that what's that one we missed? <laughs> Sounds like yeah, a great you're saying film. Nineteen ninety five. White man's burden. Yeah, so that's the direct follow up to Pulp. He probably shot it before Pulp. And did you say Michael and Broken Arrow? Yes, yes we did. Yes, we did. Okay. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, so like that's, that's so we got most of them. Yeah, it's pretty memorable, and and most of those are bad movies, which is so funny <laughs> because like as a kid growing up in that time, you would see like John Travolta is an angel calling you. You're just like <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, cool, <laughs> and he's got that smile on the cover of every box. I mean, Lucky Numbers is bad, Battlefield Earth is bad, General's Daughter is mediocre, Civil Action is okay from what I understand. I've never seen it. Broken Arrow is okay, Face Off's sweet, Phenomenon's okay, Michael's okay, Pulp Fiction's great, Get Shorty's great. And I've never seen White Man's Burden or know anything about it. I don't know anything about that. And then... Yeah. The 90s are shit for him. He comes back, it's his, like big, his big comeback tour, and then he does two good movies, and the rest is all crap. Which one are the two good ones? Yeah, Pulp Fiction and Get Shorty. Okay, all right. Fair. <laughs> Actually, in Face Off. Face Off's great. Yeah, Face Off's awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's such a weird comeback, and that, I mean, it really makes sense of why his career's kind of stagnated at where it's at 
It's like, yeah. how are you going to really break through to that next level? Speaking of career stagnating, now we're going to get in our discussion about over-under properly rated on Halle Berry. Yes. Um, and I I've, I've saw numerous things in the chat today. People saying they like her. Saying, it seemed like the general consensus, consensus is yeah. that she is highly overrated. Yeah. Um, my phone's dead. So, what do you think? Um, I have a controversial opinion on this. I, 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 I'd hoped you did. Yeah. So? I think Halle Berry's underrated. Interesting. Um, and here's my justification. So, I, I watched that scene today on Pornhub 30 <laughs> times. <laughs> I watched um, that scene on Pornhub. That, no, <laughs> uh, no I, I looked at her filmography today, right? And I looked at every movie. And it's no, it's, there's no surprise here. Halle Berry has a terrible filmography. She's yeah. got... She's got, like, like if you take the X-Men movies out of it, there's two good X-Men movies. The rest, she's got, like, five or so good movies otherwise in her whole career. And she's been working since, like, 1990. Like, yeah. she was in the Spike Lee movies in the 90s, she, which are pretty good. She's in Bullworth, which is good. Really quick, just going to call you out on not pulling a picture of Holly Berry for your rundown? <laughs> no, no, she's not. We're, this, is, this is a different, different <laughs> no, no, conversation. No, no, We're not doing Steven. a profile on Holly Berry? <laughs> we're not. We're not. I mean, the picture you would pull for Holly Berry in this context is inappropriate for the show, so we can't show it. I know, but Ben, like, this was Hugh Jackman's second movie. Are you really not? <laughs> oh, very good, Steve. I get it. You're, I get you're you're right. Very, you're right. Very clever. Um, um, so what I thought about, though, was, like, she doesn't have a good filmography. However... I don't think that because Halle Berry won the Oscar that she was ever taken particularly seriously, to be honest. In my in my memory, when I think about her career as it went, like, Gothica's a few years later, and she, it was already a joke. Catwoman was already a joke. Like, it wasn't... I mean, congratulations to Halle Berry for winning an Oscar. Yeah. And she's good in the movie. And she's really good in this movie. Well, it's just ridiculous that, like, someone like Jamie Foxx is giving given so many more opportunities post-Oscar win than someone like Halle Berry. Because yeah. he's more famous. I think she's underrated because I think Halle Berry does a great job in this movie. I think she does a great job in Monsters Ball. And I think, yeah. like, overall, I just don't think she ever got any really much credit for winning the Oscar. I don't think she ever got much credit for being super, super hot and also very good in the movies she's in. Like, she's in bad movies, but she's not bad in those movies. Yeah, and she's not good in not good movies, but that's tough, you know? Did you just sway me I'm wondering I mean I feel like that I mean at the end of the day winning an Oscar is the greatest greatest award that you can get as an actor and even if you don't agree with the awards all the time winning that is is just incredibly monumental and it shows that you can basically be put in any situation as an actor and pull more than your weight yeah because you were the best in the world at that time and like Again, Jamie Foxx is one of those people that it just drives me absolutely insane that he won an Oscar. But then I went and watched Ray again more closely, and he does an incredible job. He's in that. great. Um, but he was given more and more and more and more and more and more opportunities after he won. So maybe yeah. Halle Berry is underrated because look, Catwoman was a shitty movie. So yeah. was Daredevil. Yeah. Like you can't just be great in those films. Even if Colin Farrell isn't that bad in Daredevil, yeah. I think he's probably the best part of it. Yeah. Ben Affleck's career didn't just die. <laughs> no, I, I think like what I, what I think is interesting. If you go and look at like a lot of the other actresses who won Oscars and are also incredibly beautiful women, like Charlize Theron or yeah. people like that, they are given so much more credit. Um, and and look, I could be wrong on this. Like a lot of people associate her win at the Oscars that year because it's the same year Denzel won for Training Day. It was that big triumph right, year. Yeah, it was all yeah, like yeah. Uh, racial diversity. The Oscars. It's funny that 15 years later we're still talking about Oscars so white. But oh, like. Of course. But, like, that was the big story that year, I remember. And, you know, I saw the movie. Monsters Ball is a good movie. She's good in it. It's just that, like, 
I don't think the world took her seriously. I don't. I really yeah, don't. And like to be able to get to that place on film, like that. If you guys, I mean, I'm not sure how many of you guys out there have ever acted or anything, but or have even just had to do something in front of people you're not in co- incredibly comfortable doing, like maybe giving a speech in class, or yeah. maybe reading out loud, or or having to say thank you at an engagement party or something like that. She's having sex on camera in front of ten to fifty other people yeah. in a multi-million dollar set. That's not no, easy. And to it do. ain't no like under the covers moving around no. shit. No, it's like, all right, you guys, oh, we're gonna roll. Okay, derobe Miss Barry, derobe Mister Thornton. Let's yeah. do this. You know, yeah. savage. So it's, it's an intense scene. Yeah, I just for my money, I was just like, I think she's kind of underrated because I don't think she gets much credit and like she's she's done a, some pretty incredible things. And not only that. She's an incredibly, like, iconically beautiful woman yeah. who has done very, very, very cool things with her career. And I think she gets basically no credit. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think instead of saying that she's overrated, I'm going to go to properly rated that instead of underrated. Okay. I think she's properly rated because she will continue to get roles. She will be con- she will continue to be offered things for the rest of her career, I believe. I don't think she's just going to disappear anytime soon. Um, she's got a role in Kingsman and the Golden Circle. There you go. And yeah. I love Kingsman. Uh, but... There are movies like Catwoman and Die Another Day yeah. and all in Gothica and there's all these films in the in, that she has been given a chance enough to the post, the post Oscar run is pretty pretty bad. It's really bad and I think that even if you are in a terrible film you can do a great job. Yeah. And we've seen that with movies we've covered on this show. Um I think that she has been given a lot of opportunities. I think that she's not been given maybe the most just opportunities yeah. to to shine. But I think she's properly rated. I don't. I don't want to see an excess or an influx of Halle Berry in the in the yeah. film market. Fair enough. Cool. Um, all right. So moving on to production development with this film. Uh, yeah, I already mentioned that stuff. It's written by Skip Woods, Skipper John Skipper Woods. <laughs> this Vinnie Jones thing that you pulled was pretty interesting. The yeah. stunt. Yeah, not crazy. Yeah. So Vinnie Jones was going to do a stunt, but Travolta stopped him. He was like, mm. "Funny thing is, if it was a cruise film, he'd be like, yeah, do it.' Yeah, do it.' Uh, Travolta was like, "No." Nah, I don't think that's a great idea. And so a stuntman did it instead. That's the end of the story. Oh, wait, no, it's not. The wire broke and the stuntman fell 60 to 70 feet onto a concrete floor, breaking his spine. Yeah, there's no, there was no write-up as far as whether or not he was paralyzed, but tragic and There horrible. would have been no bullet tooth Tony had that happened. No. So, um... Even though it's cool that there's people like Tom Cruise out there, yeah. it's maybe not always the best yeah. idea. Seriously. So, uh, yeah, the movie is written by John Skipper, Skip Woods. Um, he wrote Swordfish. Actually, interestingly enough, he did a movie in, uh, in 1998 called Thursday, um, which actually, when I was quoting that movie earlier with Joel Edgerton, that Australian movie, mm-hmm. I don't actually think Aaron Eckhart was in the movie. I think he's in this movie Thursday, and oh, I was mixing okay. the two up. But that movie that I did mention that Jackman was in, Edgerton's in it, and there's at least one other big-time actor. Love Joel Edgerton. Uh, yeah, he's the best. So this guy ends up writing Swordfish and co-producing it in 01. His next credit doesn't come until 07. He gets uncredited rewrites on dialogue for the fourth Die Hard movie. Which is actually pretty pretty fun. I watched it again the other day. It's a good movie. Also that year, he wrote uh, Hitman, the first one. The, the, is it Tim Oliphant in the first yeah. one? Yeah, and that also isn't that bad either. Yeah. The first one's kind of fun. And then from there, he wrote Wolverine Origins, he wrote The A-Team, Good Day to Die Hard, and his most recent film was the second Hitman. Okay, so I look at someone like that, and I look at the movies that you've done up to this point, not Swordfish is good or Hitman's good, Yeah. Uh, or that even Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard is great, but like it just seems like he got super, super comfortable 
with yeah. the last four films that you're, that you're talking about here. Yeah, he he hit his stride and it, and he just and he jumped on it and he did a good job writing action scripts. I mean, a good job. Yeah, yeah. a good enough job that people were like, that movie made money. Let's give him another job. Yeah. Um. So interesting enough about him though is that he's also a weapons handling and tactics consulting guy. Uh, he's part of a firm with uh, what was it called? Wet work tactical. Yeah. It's funny because there's so many like guns and like ball bearings and ammunition yeah. and all his scripts. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the story. Uh, the other story with him is that he had to he had a very different take on uh, the Gabriel Shear character, and uh, it was written differently. And then he ends up changing it for Travolta. So. Right. He had like tons of like several lengthy monologues yeah. and things like that, which uh, is funny because he only ends up having maybe two. I think in the film there's the opening one which might actually be the only one yeah the opening monologue like, there's so much to say about this movie the opening monologue is just such a funny example of like you're reading the script and I'm like well I could see reading this on paper and being like this is this is good it's pretty like Tarantino yeah. it's pretty talky and like and then they're like it's John Travolta's gonna do it and I'm like oh my god shut up oh my John god. Travolta perfect no <laughs> it's just like the idea of John Travolta reading this out loud is like he probably like loves the sound of his voice right. reading that opening line so much alright you know what I'm, I'm gonna jump ahead real quick then because we're talking about it now and we're already we've already been talking for a bit but um that's my fist pump mo- I mean that's my favorite line oh good the opening and the reason good. it is is because that was the monologue that I did from this movie in high school really yeah so really quickly to give you guys some uh, backstory <laughs> on this is I was telling Ben that I did the monologue from Swordfish and I, I was like I did a monologue from it I don't remember which one and then I went back and watched it and I was like oh my god it was the opening monologue yeah. and I was like oh my god I thought that was fucking awesome yeah. when I was younger of course that's like I mean just like what we're talking about and like Travolta doing it and all these it's just so crazy that like you flat you fast forward to 12 or 11 years later and I'm like oh wow yeah this is what I used to think was super badass that's what we were told was badass back then it's like cool there's nothing wrong with it I could see reading the script and going like this could work but it is so like it's just it's like so like like, syrupy and thick and like just like shut up like you love yourself so much and just hearing yourself talk so that's that's so interesting that you brought that up yeah Um, but uh, the movie is directed by Dominic Cena most notably so a few things we mentioned the music video quality. Dominique Cena was a music video director. He directed Janet Jackson's videos, mm-hmm. um, uh, Tina Turner, Fleetwood Mac. Like he's very well known as a director for that. He directed California, which is the Peter Cetera. Yeah, <laughs> California, the Brad Pitt, Juliet Lewis movie from like '93, um, and then ends up directing Swordfish as well as Gone in 60 Seconds. Yes. 2000, 2001, and then his career is stalled out a little bit with Whiteout in 09, which is the, uh, that's the Greg Rucka comic adaptation, and then Season of the Witch again with Nick Cage in 2011, which is not a good Just movie. Just not a good movie at all. Um, and then, lastly, with the producers on this film, you got our boy Bruce Berman. Bruce, we haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah, EP, CEO of Village Roadshow, invested a lot of money, number two on the all-time list of worldwide earners as producers. <laughs> <At> over $13 billion. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. You got Joel Jesus. Silver, who, you know, Top Gun, Die Hard franchise, Lethal Weapon franchises. Right next to Bruckheimer is one of the two most influential action movie producers ever. So crazy. And then the last guy, so as well as Skip Woods, the writer who's a producer on this, you have Jonathan D. Crane. This is a really interesting one. Um, I did quite a bit of reading on this. So, rest in peace, Jonathan D. Crane. He passed Mm -hmm. away last year unexpectedly at 61. But Jonathan D. Crane was a manager. He was John Travolta's manager all through the 90s, up until 2002 when they parted ways. The last movie they worked on together came out after they worked together, which is basic. Mm -hmm. But uh, he managed him for for like over a decade and produced most of the movies that he was in in the 90s. He was an an EP on almost all the movies, including this one. Um, He originally was a manager who produced the first Look Who's Talking film. 
Um, and that movie was like a very, very low budget movie that made a huge amount of money. Okay. So he like became this producer to watch. And he bought a distribution company, an overseas distribution company, in, I think in, in uh, hopes to distribute the second Look Who's Talking. But because that was the only movie that he had on the docket, the movie lost, or the uh, the deal lost like $100 million, and he had to declare bankruptcy like a few years <laughs> after becoming this producer to watch. And so then he basically made his money back managing and producing Travolta, Travolta movies okay. all through the 90s. So all the movies that we loved Travolta in, he produced Face Off. Oh, Primary Color. Primary That's Color. One. I was Yeah, okay. That's what we missed. Battlefield Earth he produced, Basic, General's Daughter, like all of them. He's credited pretty much on every single movie that he did past like... But that's awesome. It's like, well, fuck. I kind of blew it. Yeah. What can I do? Oh, Travolta needs a manager? Perfect. Yeah. I'm think, just going to ride this. I think he was already managing him, but yeah, he became right. like the producer. So. Like, I'm going to work. Uh, so moving on to Critical and Box Office, this movie was uh, released by Warner Brothers. It cost $100 million to make. It was a, a summer blockbuster. It was released in June of 2000. It only grossed $69 million domestic with an additional 77 worldwide for a total of $147 million. Now, it was number one at $18 million, um, ahead of Evolution <laughs> that movie's sweet. Yeah. And it only beat out Shrek 2 by a million in its, like, fourth week of its release. So, like, It was Shrek 1, but it beat it by 2 million. But Shrek had already been on this. Oh, and Shrek's fourth, fourth week. week. Got it, got it. Shrek made, like, wrong. so much money. Um, and then the re- and another thing that hurt this film was that the film was withdrawn from cinema shortly after the attacks of 9-11 um, because of the uh, exploding building scene. Yeah. It's just one of those things where, like, it was so hard to do anything yeah. with any sort of terrorism, explosions, buildings. Like, it... It makes sense that they had to pull it. Um, so, so getting on, oh, sorry, it had been in theaters for three months, so it's like it had made a lot of its money. But there, back back then, I mean, we don't we don't see it now anymore. But Where they just live in theaters. Yeah, back then you would you would smaller markets would have movies sit in their theaters for five six months. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Maguire was in theaters for like eight months, I think. Like yeah. those movies that were hits that had big names, they would just keep them as like the Titanic tenth. felt like it never left theaters for like two years. Yeah, they'd have <laughs> those movies billed as like the ninth or tenth movie on like a big multiplex, and like people would just still it would make like few hundred thousand bucks a week even yeah. so you know people like us would go and probably watch it again for four dollars or whatever it was to cost you know to see a matinee movie back exactly. then uh, so critically this is super interesting <laughs> because it got a 6.5 on on IMDB which is actually pretty respectable yeah. for this type of film yeah it's about right I think uh, yeah I, I actually do too and then R- Rotten Tomatoes which is I honestly think this is much more fair all critics give it 26 top give it a 20 and audience give it a 60 yeah which Again, it makes sense. It follows our general um, algorithm that we have for our show, but it's not a good movie. No. It doesn't hold together super well, but it is fun. Yeah, it's not a 20% movie. No, it's not 20 That's brutal. <laughs> that's, that's like really Leprechaun harsh. 6. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad. That's really bad. We, I don't think we've ever had a movie that's just like, eh, what was one we... Demolition Man. No, was, Demolition Man was really high. It was higher, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we've probably <clears> had one or two that had really low ratings like I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if Independence Day Resurgence had a super low oh, rating that was brutal what did we do two weeks ago uh, we, we did, did Paxton, Paxton last week and, and the week we before Commando uh, Running Man or oh, Running Man but no, I think Running was... Man had like decent <laughs> yeah uh, right. old ones it's hard because <clears throat> the scores are wrong so anyway uh, we pulled a, just a couple quick reviews um, this is Emmanuel Levy I thought this was interesting it's, it's credited as 2006 when he writes this but I think it's pulled from an earlier review because it says a techno thriller that suffers from narrative shortcomings, but is elevated by the star power of John Travolta and Halle Berry, and particularly Aussie actor Hugh Jackman, who's bound to become a Hollywood star. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He refers to him as an Aussie actor. Aussie so, actor who's bound to become a Hollywood star. So it must have been written when the movie first came out. Yeah, because I don't remember who it was I was talking to after watching Logan, but they were like, yeah, he nails the accent, he nails everything. It's yeah. like he's American, and it's like, yeah, you forget that, like, 
Hugh Jackman's pretty Aussie. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and it's funny. This is exactly what I was talking about. The star power of John Travolta and Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it was at the time. Yeah, People and, don't and, realize that. He had just been Wolverine, like, ten months prior. That's it. Yeah, and to go back to Stephen's point earlier, why did we put those two in the billing instead of Halle Berry and Travolta? Because they were definitely more famous. This is this is the point. This is our point right here, and this is the point you made yeah. at the top of the show, how incredibly sexist Hollywood is, that, that he would be billed ahead of her. Yeah, I mean, it, by today's standards, obviously, because he is, like, the lead character well, in the movie, now and now he's huge. Obvious. Obvious. So looking back, yeah. it feels like It that's, feels right, but at yeah. the time, it was kind of like, what? Yeah, exactly. Over Halle? Yeah, anyway. <clears throat> so, um, favorite line, I already said mine, and I know that I jumped the gun, but I just thought it was a perfect time yeah, for all it. Yeah, all good, all good. Um, I think my favorite line, I, what I wrote down was, was uh, I loved the, the thing that happens with the techno music and the Swedish porno, um, <laughs> but I think probably the other best line in the movie is just when they're just like, yeah, Don Cheadle, say something outrageous, and he's like, eat a dick. Yeah. And you're, <laughs> you're, like, you're like, that's smart writing. You're like, perfect. Yeah, and yeah. Like, let's, let's, let's cast a tough cop with some swagger. Eat a dick. Yeah, eat a dick. That's good. Yeah. That was really good. Good work, that Don in. Cheadle. I was like, wow, the writing is fantastic. Uh, a couple people mentioned that in the chat super early on. I got a laugh out of it. So, um, <laughs> so AMA question of the day is our boy Josh Ryan at Josh Ryan Sports on Twitter. Is this the greatest example of an opening scene being better than everything else that follows? Uh, I don't think so because I do think the opening scene in this movie is sweet. Even yeah. though I think the monologue's a little like a uh, little self-aggrandizing, we'll say, okay. um, or a little self-important. I think the best scene in this movie is actually the blowjob hacking scene. Yeah. And that's not the opener. So I think that if we're going to go past the opener, then I think the blowjob hacking is at least as good. Yeah, I mean, I think... Is this the greatest example of an opening scene being better than everything else that follows? It's up there. I think it's actually pretty high up there. I know that one that would pop in for me thinking for you, if that yeah. makes sense, would be Gangs of New York. Yeah. I think that the opening scene to that is phenomenal, but you don't really like the movie as I think much. that movie's bad. I just think that yeah. any scene that has D-Day Lou is great, and the rest of the movie yeah. is trash. Which is fair. I mean, I know a few people that feel that way. I love Gangs of New York, yeah. but I think that's another great film that you can make that argument for. Scenes watching Cameron Diaz and DiCaprio on screen together in that movie like make me want to actually oh, yeah, just like, walk out of the room. Um, and then, it's so weird, like, even though There Will Be Blood is a movie that some people... I mean, I love There Will Be Blood. Yeah. But that opening 30 minutes where he doesn't say a word is one of the greatest openings of a movie ever. Yeah, and people fantastic. don't realize how great it is. Now, the rest of the movie follows through. And, yeah. like, that scene, the I Drink Your Milkshake, is probably the best. I would argue there's probably several James Bond movies that that have the That's same... That's a great point. Spectre uh, being one that comes to mind. Because the opening sequence in Spectre is pretty cool. Is that the Dia, Dia de, de la Muerte? That's the one we yeah. saw. And they, like, it's a pretty cool scene. Like, it's pretty well set up and it's, like, it's like sexy and stylish and that movie's horrible. Wait, is this... Is... It's the second one, isn't it? Where they have that awesome parkour chase? Or is that Casino Royale? That's Casino. That's Casino, yeah. yeah. That's tough because Casino's so good. But those That's movies, a good point. Bond, I think, is that's a great point. I don't think any of the Mission movies, the MI movies, have that problem. Because the opening scene in MI2 is just absurd. So, like, I don't think you can say that. And, like, MI3 is... MI1 oh. is a good argument for you. No, no, no. It's MI3 is the one. Because MI3 is great. Oh, but the opening yeah. scene in MI3 is, is so much best. better than the rest of the movie. Yeah. The opening scene in MI3 is the best part of the entire franchise. Yeah. Like, for sure. That's a massive drop-off. And I think when people talk about that movie being and that not that so good... Awesome. 
they just don't remember that that's the best scene in the whole entire fucking franchise. I'm gonna we're gonna cut the discussion right there. MI3 is the greatest example of an opening scene being better than the rest of the movie, and it's still a phenomenal movie. Yeah, thank you for the awesome question, Josh. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, all right, we're gonna move on to a segment that we haven't done in a little while, and this is recast. We're yeah. gonna recast the four major roles. That's gonna be John Travolta, Hugh Jackman, Halle Berry, and Don Cheadle. Um, starting with the Don Cheadle character. You mean Don Cheadle? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went Wahlberg. Oh, Eat okay. a dick. Yeah. Just because I could just see him yeah, doing that. It'd be kind of fun. And it's like, I don't think the race matters at all in this movie. Because no. it's it's just a dumb throwaway action movie. Yeah, I would agree. Um, for the sake of keeping the, for just like keeping it balanced, I went with Sterling K. Brown. Okay. Because um, yeah. I don't, I like Sterling K. Brown. I think he's great. And he was really, really good in The People vs. OJ. He's, he's great in This Is Us. And I think he's kind of like hot right now. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were to remake this movie, I could see him as like, kind of an attitude-driven cop. I think that'd be great. For Halle Berry, I'd put Beyonce. Really? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> she was so fun in Goldmember. It's been so long since she's been in a movie. It's true. And, like, she's not that bad. There is something about her, though, with Beyonce, where she is so Beyonce that it's hard to take yeah. her seriously At this as point, anything else. She's... Like, I watched Pink Panther with my nephews and nieces when I was yeah. home, and, like, she's actually fine in it. Yeah. But she's so beautiful and stunning and, like, commanding. Yeah. It's almost the same reason of why Charlize Theron is so great at what she does. Yeah. And it's almost like why Beyonce can't be an actress. I would say, uh, let me think if this statement's going to be dead on. Beyonce is more famous than any living actor right now. I think that's true. I I mean, Beyonce is like the most famous person in the world, it feels like. Yeah, it's like Beyonce and Donald Trump are like the two most most iconic people alive right now. Mm -hmm. I think that aren't like... I shouldn't say people. I should probably say, like, entertainers, and it's funny that one of them's our president. But right. um, she just is, like, she's such a presence that it's very hard to imagine. To I mean, separate her from. And and that's why it's, like, kind of a stretch. Like, another... I, I thought it'd be fun, but just Scarlett Johansson there. But yeah. that's just so, like... That's literally just replacing one. That's that's just doing what they did with Halle Berry. Yeah. But I think... I, I don't know. I think she could do it. Yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, it's funny that I went with this and you didn't. I put Alicia Vikander. I love her. Yeah. I think she's I, I think she's great. I think she's she would be perfect for this role. She's kind yeah. of exotic. Um, she's a good actress. She's super hot. Like, I think she... Because that's the thing about this role is that this is not one of those roles where you can put an actress who's, like, super talented, beautiful, but interesting looking. They yeah, have to be exotic to be like and a stunning. Yeah. Because that's... They have, she has to basically... She has to be eye candy for Vincent. I mean, not for, for Gabriel. For yeah, for Gabriel, and but more importantly for Stanley, yeah, yeah, yeah. More. Um, because in reality, I mean, the one justification you can make for the topless scene, the only one you can make, and they could have just they could have just shown a higher angle, but the one justification you can make is that you're supposed to be from his eyes startled and taken aback by how like open sexually she is with you, and yeah, and I think another thing about that and the scene with the wire, um, <laughs> the scene with the wire with Halle Berry is like. It's a, if you want to play into that, she's so beautiful that as Hugh Jackman's character, you wouldn't even think that she would yeah. betray you. You'd be you'd just be so caught up. You know totally what I mean? charmed. Yeah, and, and that's why I said earlier. I think I actually think Halle Berry's really good in this movie. I do too. Yeah, I think she's actually really good. I think it's like funny that I see her in this movie, and that's why I said she's underrated because she's making a she's making a memorable performance out of a, a basically like sex symbol character. Yeah, and 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 she's much better in this than she is in Die Another Day. Yeah, that Jinx character is horrible. Um, all right, third Jackman. Yeah, I went with Nicholas Holt. Yeah, you love Nicholas. I Holt. love Nicholas Holt, and I think that <clears throat> the cool thing about this role is that then the roles that like Hugh Jackman plays is that like they could be played by like Nicholas Holt or Jai Courtney. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, so I think that like let's say maybe next week for Logan I cast Jai Courtney. Yeah, because like again, I didn't love 
um, Jackman when he started. I did not like him. I don't really like uh, Jack Courtney now, yeah. but over 17 years, I've fallen in love with him. Maybe he could prove himself like yeah. Jackman did. So I went with Nicholas Holt. Um, I, I went <clears throat> with Gael Garcia Bernal here. Wait, I know him. Uh, he's he's uh, from a lot of different stuff. He's originally from E2 Mama Tambien. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's That's in, you know, the Motorcycle Diaries. He's in, uh, he right now, he just, he's in Mozart and the Whale, that big show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he just, there's something about he's got, like, an innocence, and I think he's old enough to believe he has a 10-year-old daughter. That would be my only problem with Nicholas Holt. Holt. Yeah, that's he's a little young like an 8-year-old or something. But yeah. it's crazy. Like, I'm I'm 29 now. I could have a 10-year-old. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And and because Jackman's, like, he was that, like, hacker character. He was reckless. Yeah. Maybe he does have the daughter okay, when yeah. he's super young. So I could see it. Um, I'm and, so curious about Travolta. Oh, you're going to love my Travolta. Who's your Travolta? It's Tom fucking Cruise, man. Oh, that's, mine's Downey Jr. Yeah. Downey's great. Yeah. Oh, they'd both be really they'd, good. They'd both be super fun to watch play that role. Cruise would like to pop. Cut. Yeah, this is <laughs> one of the rare examples that I could think of where I was like, Cruise's movie starness and his like cruisishness. It would be perfect. Would be perfect because like one of the things that makes Travolta so like fun in this movie is that he is so flamboyant and fun. Yeah, and like. I think if you make him over serious, it actually takes away from the movie. For sure. That's why I pick someone like Downey that's gonna yeah. be so big and fun and just yeah. like really have fun with the role. Those are those are great casts. Yeah. You, uh, you ever hear of Harry Houdini? <laughs> Harry Houdini. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even know how to, uh, Downey would do his Harry Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> uh so that that actually just destroy I mean covers our Cage versus Cruise conversation, so uh yeah, I think so. I mean I, I just I also love the idea of like Cruise like I can't even do it. Like you know, like come on, Stan. Like come on, Stan. Yeah, he's doing the. I just he'd be yeah. fucking great. Cruz is great. It's um, all about deception. It's all about deception. Yeah. <laughs> Intrigue. Um, so, guys, there's three action movie categories: totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate uh, movies that are totally ridiculous or like Con Air and Face Off. You kind of like laugh your way out of the room. Uh, movies that are totally legitimate are like Lone Survivor and even like Terminator 2 we talk about because it's really grounded and held together with great performances and, and high stakes. And then uh, ridiculously legitimate is the middle category. It's like The Rock, yeah. Point Break, Speed, <clears throat> probably the most common category on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, there's no question this movie is totally ridiculous. Yeah, it's not. It's not even a question. There's, yeah. there's no, there's no moments of this that just bring me back to reality. There's no. I guess the Halle Berry performance is, yeah. is the best, but even then, it still like feels kind of cartoony. Yeah, even Jackman's not that good at it. He's just okay. No, he's just he fills a role. Yeah, and I think that that's what's so cool about what happened with his career is he's kind of a guy that just kind of filled a role. Yeah, really well, but then he was able to branch out. Definitely, yeah. He's a role player in this movie to be sure. He's he's like doesn't <laughs> he doesn't. Because they, they needed to cast somebody who wasn't going to take away from Travolta. Yeah, I mean, if, if Hollywood wasn't sexist, it would be John Travolta, Halle Berry, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, cast absolutely. And, and build in that right. Yeah, and I think probably when the movie was being cast, it was it was definitely that way. For sure. It I'm was, sure that she had a way better trailer than he did. Yeah, and you know, she probably, she got, I know she got $2 million for this movie plus the extra 500000 for the topless scene. I'll bet you Jackman made less than that. I bet you Jackman would have done this movie for $50,000 at that time. Yeah, he probably, he probably didn't do it for scale, but he probably right. got less than a million to do it. Oh, I'm sure. Unless we're just wrong and sexist. Hollywood just paid him five million, and we it's just like be wrong. We've been wrong before. The worst. Um. So yeah, that's that's my opinion on this. We have one segment left on the show, and that is called the pitch. And we already previewed it, guys. We're doing Logan next. Yes, week. guys. I am so stoked. I watched it already. It's a superhero movie. It's a comic yeah. movie, and I don't care. You know, I just want to be able to do the prestige on this show right. so badly. I don't know how to do it, but that's just... Figure it out. I just want to be able to do it. I love it. I'm so excited for Logan, guys. I'm so fucking excited. Yes, and I think that the the, the best point about why we feel it's we're able to do Logan on this show, and I know you haven't seen it yet, so I'm going to speak for both of us in saying that it's a fucking great movie. 
more importantly than it being a comic book or superhero movie. Yeah. It's a phenomenal film. Yeah. That's what carries it. It's not the superheroes and it's not all that. It's just about it being a great character-based relationship movie. Yeah, it's all I keep hearing about it, so I cannot wait to see it. Guys, if you want to follow along the conversation, share your thoughts, tweet your AMA question of the day next week for Logan. That's at AMA Podcast. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were going to keep going. Yeah, hashtag AMA question. I am Andrew Guy. You can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And actually, you can find me on most Fridays yeah. here on the Popcorn Talk doing a show called The Unproduced Table Reads, where we do table reads of the hottest unproduced scripts in Hollywood. Sweet. You, you guys do that at uh, 10 a.m. Excellent. Yeah. And Roxy Stryer, our friend, friend of the show, is yeah. on this. Roxy's on there as well. Um, and you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter as well. So share your thoughts and uh, follow along. And catch us next Tuesday on the Ultimate Movie of Trivia Schmodown on yes. Collider.com um, or on the Collider YouTube channel. We're going to be competing against Emma Fife and Joelle Monique. Yes. So tweet at us. Um, we're so excited for that, guys. We just love trivia and we can't wait to do it. So we'll see you guys same time, same place next week, hopefully holding the trophy. That's right. Take it easy, guys. See you guys. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 